everyone, this is Tanucha. Welcome to Oh My Lit. Hello, this is Rosa and we have a very special episode today. Uh, we're talking about Black History Month and it's our first time having guests. We're super excited. Yay! <laughs> um, we have here Elizabeth Beryl, who is an assistant at Harper Fiction, uh, and Sarah Lee, who just published her book, An Ocean Apart, uh, with uh, Pan Macmillan. Congratulations, Sarah. Welcome. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. Um, can you introduce yourselves as well? Tell us a bit something about yourself. Um, Elizabeth, why don't you go first? Um, hi, I'm Liz. I work as an editorial assistant at Hub Fiction, uh, which you already know because they've just told you. Um, I guess a little bit about myself is, well, fun fact, in the past week, I have moved out of my parents' house. Woohoo! I have Yay! flown the nest and, um, and I'm living independently in a house share, of course, because London. I could not afford to live by myself <laughs> in London. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's kind of a change that's happened in my life recently. Yeah. Congratulations. Now you yeah, only need uh, a new job and cutting your hair uh, to follow Tanus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's my holy trifecta of moving on with your life. I'm not moving on from something, just progressing in your life. A house, a job, and a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> the haircut can be substituted with a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. All right. Stella, why don't you tell us something about yourself? Hi there, Rob. Yeah, so I'm Sarah Lee. Um, I run an award-winning luxury travel blog called Live Share Travel. And I also have a company, Captivate, that works with travel destinations and brands and marketing campaigns and conferences and so on. Um, but actually, my um, I'm really a journalist at heart. You know, I've been a journalist and editor for my whole career. Um, and then whilst the pandemic was on and, you know, with my wings clipped and everything and the world locked down, um, I took the opportunity to write my debut novel, An Ocean Apart. <laughs> We've read it. It's amazing. It's so much fun. It's, it's oh. amazing. I love I love the cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very, very nice. It's um, great, isn't yeah. it? They did a fantastic job. They really did. Uh, these, for our listeners, this novel is about uh, three girls that get to uh, from oof, sorry, that get from the Caribbean islands to the UK to work in the NHS, the beginning of the NHS in the 50s. And I do love a story about female friendship and female empowerment. And I feel that this book like really conveys that and conveys like all the difficulties that these four girls had going to a completely different place from the, where they grew up and from what they were used to. It's a very lovely book. Congratulations, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much. That's really sweet of you. But um, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to make sure that they were strong characters and that they were supporting each other because there's enough mm -hmm. in the world, you know, in which women are sort of torn down and um, divided. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. And I love that you've picked up on that as well. I think we all love a book about just sisterhood and friendships and those really mature relationships that also they needed that support for another. I think they carried each other through that journey. 
Um, what what inspired you to write this book? Why the Windrush Generation? Does it have a personal significance for you? Absolutely, yes, it does. Um, the inspiration behind Donation Apart really is my mum, who came here in 1960 as part oh, of wow. you know the Windrush Generation. Um, the book isn't her story at all. I made sure not to make it about anybody I knew. <laughs> Could you imagine the grief I get? <laughs> Just at any family luncheon or dinner, you just have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there'd be so much hassle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's not the you know her story directly, but it's one that is common to people who came to Britain at that time. Um, and it, it was so common that I I think I actually took it all for granted myself. You know just how pioneering they were and how important their contributions were to Britain too. So, um, you know, I mean, really, for me, it was just what everybody did. I just understood it as being quite normal, you know. But, um, yeah, the, the impact of Windrush is so vast. You know, when you look at some of the prominent descendants of, Wind, of the Windrush generation today, you know, like Marcus Rashford is going around feeding the nation's kids. And, you know, you've oh, got yes. people, you know, sports stars like... Lewis Hamilton and Kelly Holmes and you know all sorts of people there were all sorts of levels of society um you know Baroness Scotland is another one you know in politics for instance and loads of other yeah. politicians of course who are doing it which just leading light shall we say you know but even then even despite um those people who've got all of that sort of um uh, state status you know um there are plenty of lots and lots of people who um came from the windrush generation and they were just ordinary people whose contributions to society you know didn't get acknowledged um you know so those like my mum who just in their own small way brought really significant change to britain and um i think it's fair to say bettered people's lives yeah that's very certainly i mean people fail to understand that this is an entire generation of population that came out and helped Britain stand up on its feet again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. People, it was post-war. to remember that. Yeah. Because Britain was a really different place to what it is today. You know, post-war, it was very broken. It was it was also broke, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, they just didn't have the labour force. And so they, you know, to, to, to rebuild, let's say, and also to build the structures um, that we have now, you know, which really the NHS has become a um, something of a, uh, yeah, yeah, it is, you know, it's it's just a, a jewel in the crown of Britain really now, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just so happened, I think it's, it's probably coincidence, undoubtedly, but um, the Empire Windrush, the first ship to bring, you know, Windrush generation um, migrants here to Britain, arrived on the 22nd of June. Um, in 1948 and then it was about two weeks later that the NHS was started yeah so yeah it just so happened I think that 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 um, you know those two things kind of co um, coincide but those people then coming from the Caribbean in you know um, numbers over the the next um, what is that? I don't know. Oh, my math is terrible, so I can't think of how many years it is. But, you know, between 48 and 72. Um, decades. Those people really did. Decades. Many, many decades. 
Um, no, but it's, um, uh, the NHS does an incredible service, and um, yeah, I, I, I felt it now with the with the pregnancy and with having a little baby at home. I had so much support, and most of the people that have cared for me, most of my midwives, have been people of color, and most of them have been a Jamaican, Caribbean, um, Ghanaian, um, Nigerian. Nigerians yeah. are everywhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I, yeah. I felt very, it was very uh, heartwarming for me to read this book about the beginning of the NHS. Yeah. Oh, that, that's really interesting. No, thank you uh, for sharing that. Um, Elizabeth, what about you? How, like, just speaking about histories and family histories. Yeah, so it's, I guess it's funny you mentioned that because my dad um, is Jamaican and he came to the UK also, I believe in 1960, might be in 1961, um, when he was about nine, ten years old. Um, so, wow. yeah, he's also a part of that generation. And so I guess he's he's lived in this country for such a long time. And it's it's strange how some people still think of um, people who either came from the Caribbean or people as part of the diaspora in the UK as being not British. But for a lot of people, they've mm-hmm. spent more time here than they have in um, the places where they were born. And so I think something that is so important about how we perceive Britishness is, or at least how I think of it, is multiculturalness is part of Britishness. That's how I think of it. And so, as I said, my dad um, came over from Jamaica. My mum is actually Nigerian, uh, but she came (laughs) over much later in, like, the late 80s. Um, And so, yeah, both of my parents have sort of come to the UK from completely different um, corners of the world and... I think that it's so interesting how everyone, no matter sort of where you're from, um, has a different story about how their families came to be here. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like we are, yeah. it's, this country is filled with immigrants and, and different generations of immigrants and it's built with that. Um, I, I have to admit that I didn't know much about the Windrush generation because uh, I'm, I'm from Spain and they don't teach us that kind of history there. Um, so I learned about it through books, as I love to do. And I read Homecoming by Colin Grant, that it's different interviews to people from the Windrush generation. And it's such a lovely book to have a little window into that history. Oh, I need to check that one out. Yeah, I haven't um, haven't read that one, actually. But I... Um... I will say, though, Rosa, that despite being, you know, the fact that you're Spanish, that's that's not the not the only reason why you wouldn't have heard much about the Windrush generation, because people here <laughs> don't know about the Windrush generation. It's not taught yeah. in our schools either in terms yeah. of, mm-hmm. you know, history here or anything. So, yeah, lots and lots of people have told me that, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very disappointing. It's really the same for me. I mean, I come from India and most of our history education was the British colonizing us. And Mm -hmm. I did not know. I mean, we knew they had different colonies or that they obviously 
had different countries and people from different people, like from places came to Britain, but you don't learn about that in school. And obviously when I came here, I there was no conversation about it until that scandal happened, uh, sending people back who came from the winter generation. And that's when I started reading more into it. Um, so I started reading British by Afua Hirsch and she, uh, that was, I mean, it's a very popular book, but she, it's a part memoir, but she speaks about British history and politics and covers people from Ghana and Senegal and uh, her experience of living in this diaspora in Britain and the racism she faces. Uh, but again, this was such a new like a new part of history that I'm just only now discovering. Uh, and it was shocking that this wasn't already spoken about before, not widely spoken about before. Yeah, I think that's very, very common. I actually have a friend who's um, got an 18 year old and it, he's mixed race, um, but they were talking and she was saying to me, you know, um, she thinks it would actually be really interesting. Um, my book would be really interesting for her son to read even, which I was surprised about because I think it's, you know, more of a female book and certainly the target market is more in women, you know, of a certain age, let's say. Um, yeah. To a degree. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he, it, she was saying that the problem is that he's often saying yeah. to her that black history isn't taught in Britain beyond um, the horrors of slavery and you know which which pitches yeah. um, black people as victims and you know very very much um, uh, downtrodden yeah <laughs> to say the least you know so um, yeah there's no other stories you know there isn't even um, history talks about say Mary Seacole who was like a black Florence Nightingale if you like you know of her of her time yeah you know and that's that's in the 1800s um least of all about even more recent you know history of Windrush so yeah it is um there is a big gap there um in terms of what people are taught and also in terms of people's knowledge um therefore you know because um we we see school as providing us mostly with the the knowledge we need isn't don't we many of us anyway you know um so yeah I think there's um yeah a gap in the in the um, idea between um, black history and British history. You know what people don't recognise is that black history is British history. Yes. No, and that's what I mean. You said the, gave the right example because that's what she talks about in her book as well. As as a mixed race child studying in, she's privately educated, and then she comes home having the same reaction that this is all the history I know, it's about slavery and that's it. And how Britain played a hand in abolishing the slavery and, uh, but also there's so much more to that. And then she starts discovering everything else. And um, something else that's really interesting, if you're interested in learning about black history in the UK is you should definitely read Black and British, A Forgotten History by David Olusoga. Um, it, sort of draws on all different kinds of research original records and testimony and talks about black history not just about the Windrush generation but before it goes back to the Roman Empire it goes back to medieval times and talks about yeah how there were 
black people um, living in the UK and also parts of Europe um, for a really long time. A lot of people think that um, we sort of only just magically appeared in um, the 1960s. But actually, yeah, um, people of colour have been living um, in Europe for a very long time. I've seen the book. I love it. It's an extensive history. Like, there's, yeah, he's compiled everything in it. And it's been rec recommended to me multiple times. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I'm definitely going to read that next. I have read chunks of it. I, do, I haven't, yeah. It's, it's brilliant, though. You know, um, the it's very um, comprehensive, like you say, yeah which is lovely to see. But he also does fantastic um, documentaries as well, doesn't he? He's a documentary filmmaker, yeah, about black history. And another really good uh, one that he did was around slavery. Um, and not just, not about, you know, slavery over in, you know, the Caribbean or in America where, you know, um, it was actively, um, you know, going on, if you like, but um, about Britain's role in that history and um how you know even vicars owned slaves here you know like it was very common um and very you know lots and lots of people owned them and how britain paid off um paid paid everybody off um you know as a nation we paid everybody when they had to give up um, when slavery was abolished and people had to give up their slaves they were paid off and as a country we only paid that debt off i think think it was in like the year 2000 wow yeah i think it was even more recently than that um maybe 2016 2017 i feel like oh, it was almost oh, recent yeah. yeah um yeah, you've got it better than me. <laughs> but there's actually a really interesting exhibition um i'm not sure if it's still on at um at I need to find out where the actual exhibition is, but it's called Slavery in the Bank. Oh, yeah, it's at the Bank of England. Um, oh. So, yeah, it's called Slavery in the Bank. Wow. And it's this really interesting exhibition about, um, they have a section about how the bank was formed initially, the role of the bank, etc. But also, as you go further into the exhibition, it also talks, um, talks a lot about sure. how the bank was involved in the transatlantic slave trade and how either members of the bank, um, people very senior in the bank were um, involved in slavery, but also how, again, how that money was paid out and how it really, I guess, influenced the infrastructure of the bank at that time. Um, so if you get a chance, do you head over to the Bank of England to see the exhibition? Um, it was very enlightening and actually quite emotional as well. Amazing. Yeah, it definitely is. I think the exhibition is still on. Um, and yeah, it's definitely worth having a look it's really interesting and yeah again an acknowledgement it's I think it's really important to take ownership of our history and 
really say like okay this happened in our past rather than glazing over it and pretending it didn't happen you need to face it and say like look this happened and we need to remember it and the people who were involved the Mm. people who died the people who made sacrifices um so that we can ensure that history doesn't repeat itself Ah, my master's dissertation topic, which I have 
buried in the depths of my subconscious. Um, but let's go back to my entry into publishing. So I guess like a lot of people, um, it was, I guess, in my sort of latter school years and more like when I was at university that I sort of realised that publishing is an industry, publishing is a job and people can work in it. And I was like, huh. And um, so I did a degree in English um, like quite a few people who work in publishing and then of course started applying for publishing jobs and did not get anywhere um, I yeah. think I did get an interview for one of the grad schemes um, but didn't get that in the end so um, I kept looking online I kept doing more research I joined groups online like publishing hopefuls uh, which is a Facebook group uh, for lots of people trying to get into the industry. They're really great, though. If you're looking to get into the industry, that's definitely a place to be. They share, like, CV advice, cover letter advice, and they have occasional meetups and stuff. It's really great. Um, and eventually I decided, okay, let me do a master's. So I did a master's in publishing at UCL, um, which, again, was yeah. also really interesting <laughs> because it looked at the industry from a business perspective in some cases it looked at the history of the industry how it came to be the way that it was um when sort of the book industry I guess blew up that was sort of in the age of supermarkets and but back then there were more independent publishers how did we come to have this big five all of that kind of stuff was sort of like um, put into um, the course so that was really interesting and it was sort of after that I oh no it was actually during that year I um, got a place at um, Penguin on their work experience lottery um, I think it was like the fifth time that I'd applied for it it's literally a luck of the draw um, and yeah so I did two weeks at Viking in editorial and it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. At that time, I hadn't fully decided whether I wanted to work in editorial or whether I'd uh, wanted to work in marketing or even publicity. Yeah. But doing those two weeks in editorial, I really enjoyed. I got to read some submissions. I got to help with some mail outs. I got to try and write some copy. And I really <laughs> felt like a little oh publishing God. gal. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I think after I did my master's and I did those two weeks work experience that enabled me to actually have something to write on cover letters, um, yeah. which really helped. And during this time, I was also working in admin in a different industry in healthcare. Um, so all of that sort of culminated in me being able to get a traineeship through Creative Access, which is like a jobs board for... Yeah, um, yeah, for people of colour, but they also have jobs that are like open to all um, and people from um, low socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, so through them, I was able to get my traineeship, which I did for just under a year. And now I have a job at HarperCollins, <laughs> which I've been also doing for just under a year. So, yeah, basically. Um, and so I guess the experience of getting industry into the industry is hard. It It is really hard. There's a lot of rejections. Yeah. There's a lot of, oh, my gosh, I've rewritten this cover letter like 10 times. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of it is practice. Like when I look at the cover letters that 
I was writing maybe at the beginning of the process and the cover letters that I was writing at the end of the process, they are like 10 times different. So I think, yeah, a lot of the time, I guess, advice for people looking to get into the industry is um, look at the specifications of a job. Those are the kinds of things you want to be mentioning in your cover letter. Um, And also, yeah, just kind of don't lose hope and know that it is insanely competitive. I think I I got a rejection once, which was something along the lines of we had over 600 people apply for this role and you made it to the top 50. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's like insane. Like, thanks. But also I didn't get the job. So. Well, I graduated in 2018, in summer of 2018, and what is it, it's 2022, so I started my traineeship in January of 2021, so that was like three years. Oh, not too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad, Um, and yeah, I think doing a master's really helped, because that really helped me understand the industry because the industry is actually quite opaque it's there's a lot that you can find online but it's it's really hard to find out what the actual job is like Mm -hmm. um and even though yeah there was a lot that I learned doing my master's but it wasn't really until I did that work experience and then started doing the job that you find out what the actual job is like (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and Sarah you're doing it like from the outside of the publishing uh Sure. Um, before I tell you about my experience, like, can I just say you girls are incredible. Oh. <laughs> to get into um, publishing. I mean, I'm from a journalism background and, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm a little bit older than, than each of you. Um, so um, I've been doing this quite a while and but it's also super, super competitive and exhausting to get into. But 600 applicants for one yeah. job that's <laughs> ludicrous I'm just I just feel for you you know having to you know trying to get your foot on the rung you know on that first rung for that job you know for that initial job but now you've done it yeah I think you know you'll have that experience and you'll be able to you know move on probably a lot more easily yeah um, hopefully Absolutely. fingers crossed for you anyway um but for me yeah so
So it was actually um, that they were, Pan Macmillan, my publishers were looking for a black journalist who could write um, this, this book. They had an idea, just the very initial idea of um, something about Windrush generation nurses, you know? Um, and so they were looking for someone and another um, writer of theirs who, well, she, she used to um, be on Pan, um, but she's now, um, she, well, she, we're, we're good friends. We go back to our journal, early journalism training days. So yeah, that's quite a few years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, so she she put put me in touch with them, um, and yeah, it developed from there really. And I guess you would know it's it's actually called an IP project, or it was initially an IP project, um, where you know Pan Macmillan has come up with the idea. But in, but then I actually ended up taking it on and developing the storyline and all the characters and everything myself. So it kind of moved out of the realm of IP project into a you know more traditional book um, then. Um, but yeah, I got my publisher and then got my agent. I know, it's back to front. <laughs> they, yeah, they said, you know, you may be interested to get an agent. It's completely up to you. Um, this is who we've... His, um, you know, Blake Friedman I'm with, and they said that they'd worked with them before. Um, and actually, my friend who, um, you know, put me forward for this, she's also with the same agent. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll get with them. And then, yeah, they've been great. They are with me now, um, and that came down to my agent, really, um, because, yeah, so it started with them, uh, um, you know, having the intellectual property. That's what IP is, isn't it? Yeah, um, because they came up with that initial idea. But then it was really over time that I, I, I think it was supposed to be that they would then, you know, come back to me with this is what you want. We want you to write. This will be the nature of the, um, the story. And they didn't, you know, well, I mean, not that they didn't, not that they were slack, but I just actually went and ran with it. Yeah. <coughs> um, excuse me. So, yeah, I just ran with it and um, came up with it all. So so then, yeah, my, it's, I left it with my agent and she came back and said, it's not an IP project anymore, it's yours. <laughs> And also, it was a complete coincidence that my mum was actually Windrush Generation and trained as a nurse, um, you know, but then, yeah, once that, when I heard about, you know, that was what they were looking for, I thought, well, wow, you know, I, I've never, I've written a book before, one other book on luxury travel, but I hadn't written fiction since I was at university, and that's, a long time ago, over 20 years ago, you know. Um, so, um, in fact, that's well over 20 years, that's more like nearly 30 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I haven't, I'm not, uh, um, I didn't perceive myself as a fiction writer at the time, and I was thinking, oh, well, can I really do this or not, you know? 
And I thought, well, who's better place to do it? You know? So, yeah. And I'd hate, have hated the idea of um, someone else then going and writing this, you know, and then me looking on through the sidelines and thinking, oh, why I could have done that. Or maybe I could even have done it better. Who knows? You know? Um, So, yeah, jumped in with both feet, both feet, really. And, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, So, really, from a black perspective um i have quite a positive story in terms of um the fact that pan was actively looking to publish more diverse stories um and looking for diverse authors um you know so um i felt that they were really putting their money where their mouth is on in terms of inclusion and diversity instead of you know they didn't want to be talking about it they said they'd had the conversations and they wanted to move on from that and start taking action so um yeah yeah i felt it really refreshing to find a company that was doing that yeah also um actually i think it it's interesting that often um they do look for journalists so if there's any other sort of journalists or um people in, who you know who are working in that kind of media bloggers whatever it may be out there it's probably useful for them to know that um they are looking for you know publishers do look for journalists to do these kind of things sometimes because and i guess it's because we've got you know we not only can we write and for different audiences but we have a um, an eye for accuracy um and we you know research as well we can do the research and then when it comes to um the publicity phase you know you're also able to churn out some articles as needed um and that kind of thing so you know if you're working in the media in um you know in a, another area of the media currently it's um something to, to think about Um, well, it's, it's kind of interesting. So I, um, in the first publisher that I worked at, it was a really tiny publisher, um, less than 50 people. And I remember being the only black woman in the office at that time. And like, everyone was really lovely. We didn't have any kind of conflicts in that respect. And it was really great, but it gave me a sense of anxiety just there's just something about being the only black person in a room it's like it I don't know you feel like people are watching you you feel like you have to represent you feel like everything you're doing is being noted down you feel like if you do something wrong you're letting the team down and what if another black person can't then um, come into that role because of a lasting impression that you give. 
Um, and so, yeah, it gave me that sense of anxiety. And so moving to HarperCollins was really interesting in that um, there were so many more people of colour in the office. There were people in marketing, people in publicity, there were black editors. And I got to join their, um, their employee network for people of colour and it was just nice to have that sense of community but also an element of that weight is then lifted off your shoulders because it's not just you anymore if I don't know if someone says something or someone brings something up you don't have to work it over in your head and think am I just overreacting is it just me you can talk to someone or you can look at them across the room and make that face um and yeah and so yeah <laughs> exactly and so um yeah so it's it's it can be difficult in some respects and so even at the first company that I worked they recruited me through creative access so it's obvious that they are definitely looking to diversify their company and at small companies roles aren't coming up every other day it's not like I don't know in Penguin and HarperCollins, they have job ads out all the time. And so, yeah, I think that come uh, loads of companies are looking to have a diversity now, both in and out of publishing. And I think that that will only bring a benefit to the books that we're seeing out into the world. Um, one of the things that sort of came up in my dissertation is that reading boosts empathy, especially when, uh, especially reading fiction, and so that can only be a benefit for people in the world. Um, so I actually did my dissertation on race and inclusivity in the publishing industry. I was initially going to do it on something completely different. And then I don't know if you were, not if you were there because it was on the internet, but hashtag publishing paid me happened, um, which was when a couple of yeah, authors... I remember that. Yeah, I think it was L.L. McKinney who started it. Um, a couple of other authors, um, not off the top of my head, but they were sharing what advances they'd received for different books to show the disparity between what um, what black authors were receiving compared to authors of other ethnicities. And I think there was a giant google doc that was compiled with all of these different figures initially what i wanted to do was to analyze those figures as data and extrapolate things from it but um i'm not a mathematician it is not my strong suit so in the end that kind of it formed a different part of my dissertation um and again that summer there were all the black lives matter protests all around the world i sort of looked at people talking about racism 2020 um and so i sort of looked at that within the context of the publishing industry different things that were happening in the publishing industry um i think that was the same year that bernardine evaristo won the booker prize and queenie yeah. won book of the year and but at the same time i think it was also american dirt was published um and there are a couple of other things that happened. Um, and so I talked to different people. I spoke to some authors, some agents, some people in editorial, some people in marketing, um, both um, white people and black people. 
um, and other people of colour just to see how they felt about things. Did they think that everyone's now talking about diversity, but it's just a trend and it'll stop happening? There are some people who've been in the industry for a long time who said, we've had all these conversations before. Every time something big happens in the news, we have these big conversations about diversity. So this is just an iteration of that cycle. But then some other people felt that even though things like this have happened before because of social media, because um, there are now more people of colour in the industry that it can't be swept under the rug anymore and that things are finally going to change. And so it was really interesting to talk to different people about how elements of their roles fitted into it, but also generally about how they felt, whether they felt was there a sense of excitement or was there a sense of exhaustion at this as well it was a very sort of interesting time um yeah basically but if you're interested in learning more about that one of the things you should definitely read that i read um within my research is the rethinking diversity in publishing report uh which was published uh that same year based on the previous year's data um, they essentially did a similar project, but on a much larger scale. They interviewed loads of different people in the industry and they actually give loads of recommendations to publishers as to what they can do either to um, help improve diversity in terms of sort of like staff, authors on their list, how to even work with those authors to make sure that they are getting um, sort of their best foot put forward. Um, I think that a lot of publishing likes to do things that the way that we've always done them. You yeah. sell your books to the same stores, you promote them in the same ways. And if you want to reach new audiences, you need to find new methods of publishing. And um, that was sort of a big part of that as well. Oh no, it's um, because I interview people, it all has to be confidential, but, um, and I also proofread it in like two days, so I'm not sure how readable it actually is. Um, this all sounds super interesting though. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, I was writing it in lockdown. It was um, an experience to say the least. Um Um, so I really enjoyed reading over the past couple of years Talia Hibbert's books, particularly her Brown Sister series. Um, I really love the first one, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. It's this series about these three black women who are 
generally working, finding themselves, they're in their 20s, and essentially they fall in love, and they are wholesome and beautiful, and I just really enjoyed them as comfort reads, and it's funny because I find that I don't do half as much reading now that I actually work in the industry, or the books that I do read haven't been published yet, because they're all submissions, (laughs) and... I know. Yeah, so sometimes um, I actually work in a crime and thriller imprint, um, but sometimes when my brain is tired and I don't really want to think about anything, I just want to relax with a nice romance. And so, yeah, Talia Hibbert's books are really great. Well, um, I'm glad that you said that as well about um, not reading as much as you'd like, because I'm the same. Um, I'm so busy all the time, you know, running a business as well as then turning my hand to being a novelist (laughs) at the same time. So, yeah, I I don't read quite as much as I'd love to. But um, one book that I did read um, during, you know, the process of writing and also... um, during the pandemic, which was, you know, it was like I think we all needed a bit more comfort then too, you know. Um, and it was actually a children's book, but it was Coming to England by Floella Benjamin, which um, was just so lovely. And um, even though she was writing about her experiences coming here in the 1960s, a lot of aspects of it reminded me of my childhood in the 80s, actually. You know, a lot of things around sort of settling in and um that kind of thing you know Britain Britain at the time so yeah Yeah. but it's also got really lovely illustrations too um and actually Floella Benjamin was um one of my well not I wouldn't say an early hero but certainly she was one of the few people um of colour that I would see on television um when I was a a child so yeah Oh, fab. Yeah, there's some, I think there's two versions, isn't there? There's a um, really very, you know, a a sort of illustrated book um, for younger children. And then there's um, one with, yeah, it's got illustrations too, but it's um, more more text in it for the sort of nine plus, I believe. But yeah, yeah. So cute that you read to your baby though, as well, you know, (laughs) because it's it's very young though. Yeah. No, it's supposed to be really good for babies. Like reading to children specifically is supposed to help them boost IQ and make friends and blah, blah, blah. I saw it somewhere on the internet, so clearly it's true. <laughs> no, that's true. It's great though. I mean, I just thought at three months is he? Is that how old he is? 
yeah I would maybe think of it at three months but that's that's lovely really beautiful and I think yeah it will make such a difference Fabulous. Yeah, so that sort of almost happened by accident. I um, tweeted like a year and a bit ago, like, oh, I wish I knew more people in publishing. Usually my tweets get like two likes, but suddenly there's like 100 people in the comments also talking about how they started their jobs in publishing in lockdown. They don't know anyone. I think at that time, um, some of the offices still weren't open. So I just started organizing these monthly drinks. We go to random bars in London that might also be very close to London Bridge because that's where I work <laughs> and um, yeah it's been really great um, there will be another one at the end of this month I just need to organize it so if you want <laughs> the details for the Facebook group you can find me on Twitter um, and yeah come along it's fun and it's nice just to talk to people who actually understand how your job works. Like, I think all of my friends just yeah. think I sit and read all yeah. day, which would be lovely, but I actually don't have enough time. <laughs> it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. The, um, yeah, it's pretty much just for like a junior staff. So you don't technically yeah. have to be an assistant, but if you're earning over 40K, then you might want to hang out with some of your other friends because uh, we <laughs> buy drinks worry. for under problem. five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm thinking about yes, maybe yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I am working on a synopsis currently, um, so we'll see, see if that, you know if it comes off. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm busy at the minute. I've just got a lot of press that I'm doing and nice. um, events as well. Um, so I'm doing radio interviews. Oh, I'm on um oh I'm on Three Counties Radio t tonight. So BBC. Um, and I've got something else tomorrow I'm doing, <laughs> another podcast. Nice. It's a, a lot. Nice. <laughs> but I'm also doing some events. I'm doing lots of events. Um, I've got my book launch on October the 18th um, with Queen's Bookshop in Market Harborough because I live in the Midlands. And so, yeah, it's quite local to me. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and um, then I'm at Sheffield Library, Queen's Hospital in Romford, nice. um, which is really nice. I'm really excited to connect with um, NHS workers as well, you know, and to um, be meet, meet them and, you know, because it's their story or in some mm-hmm. to some extent, you know, as well. So I'm excited about that. And then I'll be at the Right Ideas Festival in Bethnal Green, Bethnal Green Library on, nice. I think it's November the 5th. Yes. Oh, great. That will be cool. Good. Nice. Nice to see you. Hey, is it? Yeah. It's on that whole weekend, I think, 5th and 6th. Yeah, I'm sure they will. (laughs) Bring the baby for more story time. Yeah, it so is. It's it's very very different. Um, but it's it's fun. Yeah, no, it is good. Um, I'm quite enjoying. It. I mean, I'm enjoying getting feedback from people, you know, who have read it and finding out their favourite characters and bits they loved and that sort of thing. You know, I just yeah, it's really nice now that it's out in the world. It's it's a lovely lovely part of it. Um, the actual interviews. Hmm, I'm not sure. I may be less oh. excited about them just because I tell you why it's because I've spent all of my life interviewing other people so having you know the shoe on the other foot suddenly I'm like oh like you want my opinion all oh, right okay I'm not used to this part I, you know so you do just a very different dynamic um oh, but no. yeah it's it's all new challenges and new things to do and it's yeah it's fun it's interesting Oh, yes. Um, well, <laughs> like I said, I don't get quite enough time to read. So I've been reading this for a little, for, for a little while now. Um, but I am really enjoying it. And it's um, In Every Mirror, She's Black um, by Lola Akimade Akustrom. Nice. Uh, and it's based, it's actually set, I think it's set largely in Stockholm, really. But it's um, based on three African, uh, three women, three black women from different parts of the world, um, a Nigerian American who then um, moves over to Stockholm, um, a Jamaican air stewardess and a Somali refugee who's, um, you know, ended up in, in Stockholm too. Um, and it's quite an uncompromising look at the challenges that uh, for black women in what's considered quite a liberal society, really, isn't it? Well, you know, when we think about Sweden, we do think, oh, they're yeah. all really cool and laid back. Yeah, except for the fact that, you know, in reality, they've actually just had a um, far right government yeah. elected there. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, uh, so, I mean, even despite that, I think, you know, what Lola does is she points to um, a the sort of undercurrents and um, underlying um, issues, you know, whether that be sort of black fetishism or, um, you know, over racism, you know, those are the kind of things that she touches on. And it's really, it's really interesting, a really good read. 
so far. Um, you know, I'm sure it's going to be brilliant because I've heard such great stuff about it. Um, and yeah, and Lola's actually a travel blogging friend of mine as well. So I'm, you know, excited to see her branching out as well into um, new pastures nice. as well. Yeah. I am finally getting around to reading The Secret Diaries of Charles Ignatius Sancho by Patterson Joseph. Um, I actually managed to get myself a copy of the proof, but in true publishing fashion, I haven't actually gotten around to reading it till now. And the book was just published. Um, but I have seen all the incredible activity on social media. The author's gone out and done like this acting at Waterstones, um, which looked incredible. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, Charles Ignatius Satu was a real person. Um, he was an abolitionist, a writer. I think he was also a composer who was sold into slavery and um, he ran away, found himself in the UK, etc., etc. Um, and yeah. he, this sort of book, I guess, is chronicling his life and stories told from his perspective and I'm really excited to read it um, because I hadn't actually heard of him until almost recently I read a book called Incomparable World by S.I. Martin it was part of the uh, Black Britain Writing Back series and Sancho features as a character in there and um, yeah it's again part of this sort of black history in the UK that predates the Windrush that I'm really excited about learning about. Mm -hmm. Amazing.
Amazing. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I read that. It's so good. <laughs> thank you so much tanu and rosa for having us thank you thanks so much for having me it was really good fun chatting to you guys